Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. It's great to see you. Especially if this is your first time, we're really glad you're here. Look forward to meeting you. Today we are starting a new series. We're actually starting our whole uh, sort of spring ministry season. So it doesn't really feel like spring yet, but this is our official start to spring. So we're really glad you're here. And we are starting a new series today in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Really excited for it. Now, before I dive into the text, I do want to take a couple minutes and just speak to what's been going on in our world. Uh, it, it has been a, a hell of a couple of weeks, uh, and I, I use that in the technical sense, hell of a, that's H-E-L-L-U-V-A, uh, but that is full of hellish behavior. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of a, a season that is, that is so dark, so concerning, so, so scary. The, the events of of, you know, I think it was a week ago now in Washington, D.C., these, these riots, the, the violence, the threats, oh, they should deeply grieve us in our souls as believers. And when, when, we, when we look out at our country, we should be deeply affected by the things that we're seeing. And, and the, the thing that's at the heart of all this, that, that in so many cases, not every case, but in so many cases, the division, the strife that's going on between people, the prejudice, the racism that we're seeing, the violence and the threats. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's just overwhelming for me. And, and to be honest, I don't like starting sermons like this. I would rather just jump up here and, and just preach the gospel and, and tell some jokes about how the Chiefs are going to win by like 87 points today. But I also feel like I, I can't really do that when this is going on in the world. I mean, I feel like everything that's been sort of boiling up on like Facebook and in these hidden groups over the last few years is now spilling out into real, actual violence and actual lives are being lost in our world it's incredibly dark, and we don't know what this next week is going to hold. It could be, this could be sort of the end of the chapter, and we can turn the page and go on to a more peaceful future, or, or things could get worse before they get better. For us as, as a church, we believe in preaching the whole gospel to the whole person for the whole church for the renewal of the whole world. The gospel, according to Jesus, is that his kingdom has come to earth. His kingdom has come, and that changes everything. That means there's no aspect of our lives that goes unaffected by the kingdom of Jesus. There's no part of our relationships, our cities, our communities that's unaffected by the kingdom of Jesus. There is nothing in the world that's not touched 
by the power and love of Jesus Christ. Now, when we are starting Ephesians, we're not doing it because of the election or riots or COVID or anything else that's out there. We've been planning this for months, but I also want to suggest that Ephesians has everything we need, and it's only like five or six pages in your Bibles, but it has everything we need to understand what's going on in the world and to find hope to find hope in these, these dark and hopeless times, and even more than that, to bring hope, to be, to be agents and ambassadors of hope in the places that God has called us. Now, Ephesians is a glorious little book, and it, it, it really does show us how to understand what's going on in the world. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said we should live with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand and read our Bibles to understand how to read our newspapers. And in Ephesians, we see the depravity of the human heart. The heart that hasn't met Christ yet, that's full of anger and and malice and violence and, and strife and division. And if we're honest, which we need to be as Christians, everything that we're seeing out there in the world also exists inside of us. And every single sin inside of us is just as offensive and heinous to a a glorious and perfect God as what we're seeing out there in the world. And so Ephesians says that we are dead in our sins, but God in his great mercy makes us alive in Christ. He literally raises us from the dead in Christ. The old is gone, the new is here, and it's totally by grace. And because it's totally by grace, Chapter 2 says that any barrier between humans, especially ethnic or social barriers, comes crashing down. And everything is united under Christ, not just all peoples, but literally the vision of Ephesians is everything in heaven and on the earth, below the earth, it all comes underneath the lordship of Christ. Ephesians gives us a gospel that's not just about individual salvation, but it's, a, it, it's about the cosmic redemption of all things under Christ. It's a, it's a huge vision, and it touches everything. Now, you'll see on the cover of your bulletin the angle that we're taking with this series, and I love this. It's, we're calling it God's Masterpiece, the Church. All right? God's Masterpiece, the Church. And now I think if you went around and you asked people on the streets, uh, you know, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember jaywalking. Does anybody remember jaywalking on the Jay Leno show where he would go out with a microphone and ask really simple questions and then people, you know, likely inebriated would give just the worst responses ever. I imagine if we went out and did something, something like that, asked 20 random people in Columbia, what is God's masterpiece? We'd get 20 different answers. You know, the Rocky Mountains, uh, the Sistine Chapel, Patrick Mahomes. You know, we'd get a little bit of everything. I doubt that any one of those 20 people, though, would say the church. The local church, that's my answer. All of God's creative and redemptive activity, its, its peak and its pinnacle is the local church, you know? No, the church is under fire right now. The church is a mess right now. Probably the single greatest barrier to the, to the faith right now is, is the actions of the church, the, the confusing witness that's being sent out from Christianity right now. Years ago, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he did a sermon series called How to Believe 
in spite of Christians. And I think that's fairly appropriate. How do we, how do we understand how we believe in Christ and live Christianly in spite of Christians' behavior? Now, Ephesians 2.10 says in the New Living Translation, we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God planned for us to do. In John 17, Jesus prays, Father, I have, sacrificed, or I have sanctified myself, which means I have, I have set myself apart for them, his followers. He's saying all of my, my coming to earth, everything I've taught, everything I'm doing, my life, my death, my resurrection, it's all for this one purpose, to establish a people after my name that will bring glory to God. The church. When God creates in Genesis 1, he says it is good to, to everything that he makes, but when he makes man and woman, he says it is very good, and then his work is finished. And if man and woman is, is the pinnacle of all creation, then certainly the, the redemption of men and women is the pinnacle of, of all of his saving activity. The church is the masterpiece, the, the crowning achievement of God's work. And so the single greatest witness to the faith these days is a church that actually reflects the masterpiece that God intended. So three things I want to look at this morning from these verses. I want to look at your identity, your place, and your purpose. All from these six verses, your identity, your place, and your purpose. So let's start in verse 1. This is your identity. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we can hit pause already right there and begin to look at this book. Ephesians is a masterful letter from the Apostle Paul to the churches in the city of Ephesus. It's, the book itself can be divided into two halves. The first half is chapter 1 through 3, which gives us this big vision of, of the gospel story, all things coming together under Christ. The second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, describe how this, this, big, this big gospel, the story of the gospel, it makes sense out of all of our little stories. It shows how the gospel impacts our, our relationships, our work, our marriages, our parenting, our, our spiritual warfare, our mercy and justice and reconciliation. It's, it's all in Ephesians. But the way Paul begins it is by describing and, and, and addressing God's holy people in Christ. Your translation might also say God's saints in Christ. But the big phrase there is in Christ. That is your identity as believers. According to Paul, you are in Christ. This phrase shows up three times in the six verses that we read to start our time together. It actually shows up four more times in the eight verses that we're going to look at next week. So just in this opening uh, sort of prayer that Paul gives us, which, by the way, the first 14 verses in Ephesians is all one long sentence in Greek. Thankfully, our, our English translators have given us some, some periods and some commas to help us out. But it's all one long sentence, and seven times he uses the phrase, in Christ. Now, what he's describing is what we call the doctrine of union with Christ. 
That when we become believers, we are united to Christ. We are made one with Christ. We are literally in Christ. His life is transferred to us. Our sin is transferred to him and his righteousness is transferred to us. Everything that's true about Christ is now true of all those who believe in him. To be in Christ is how Paul can call us God's holy people. Now, holy, in in the way Paul uses it, it means two things, blameless, righteous, pure. That's the first meaning. And then sanctified or set apart, called for a purpose. That's the second meaning. And Paul says, you are God's righteous, holy people in Christ. And so if you don't feel holy, if you don't feel blameless, if you don't feel called and set apart for his work, The reality is that you are, if you're in Christ, that is your new identity. You are in Christ. Now he goes on to say, you are the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so I hope you can see that the way that Paul opens this letter is so important. He doesn't doesn't begin by saying, obey, here's what we need you to do. But he begins by, by reminding you who you are. You are God's holy, chosen blameless people, called from out of the world, set apart from a, for, for a glorious purpose. You are in Christ. You are one with him. You are united to him. To be in Christ is an unbreakable, eternal bond to Jesus. It's the single greatest bond in the universe. It's the single safest place to be in the universe. Now, if you'll follow verse 3, the next few verses continue to unpack what Paul means by in Christ. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. And we'll stop right there. Now this phrase, adoption to sonship, this is the key to the whole paragraph. It's easy to read those verses and to focus on the words chosen and, and predestined. And many you know, years of debates have followed from these two words and how they're used in Ephesians. This is really important stuff. If you want to talk at length about this over coffee too, I'm happy. But the emphasis of the paragraph is adoption to sonship. We're predestined to adoption to sonship. Now, you know what adoption is. Last year, my sister and her husband adopted their little boys, four years old, cutest kid on earth. And the whole picture of adoption is a picture of the gospel. You know, they didn't just show up at the courthouse one day and then come home with a child. That's not how adoption works. You know the amount of planning that goes into adoption? For, for years, they had little Anthony in their home as they provided foster care for him. But if you back up before that, it took them years just to get certified as adoptive parents, as, as, you know, potentially adoptive parents. And even before that, they had years of decision-making and planning and and considering whether it was the right time to foster and adopt. And so all of this goes in before the decision to adopt. And then it's not just a, a general adoption. There's a specific, particular child who's chosen. 
Now, adoptions are one of the most expensive things we have in our culture. It comes at great cost to those who are doing the adopting. But I hope you can see that in all this, there is a great deal of planning, and the child has very little clue what's going on, right? They're just a child. And yet the adoption is forever. It's permanent. The child no longer is moving from house to house, but they are finally home. Nothing can break that bond. They're, they're no less of a child of the family because they weren't biologically born into it. They're an equal member of the family. And so I hope you can see this connection that God planned to adopt us long before, long ago. Long before we ever knew what was going on, that, that he was going to do this, he planned our adoption. He created us, he called us to himself, and he adopted us to sonship through Christ. That's why he predestined us. He, he planned us. Adoption is the beautiful truth of how we enter God's family. Predestination is the work that God puts in before we even know what's going on. Now, why, why the phrase adoption to sonship? Why not daughtership or just adoption into the family? This is a very particular phrase, sonship. In the first century, inheritances didn't you know, go from the, the parent that passed away to all children equally, the entire inheritance went to the oldest son. And so there's a, there's a big difference between being the oldest son in a family and being any other child in the family. The oldest son is, is the heir. And so what Paul is saying is that you have been adopted, not just into the bottom rung of the family, but you have been adopted into sonship. You are now the heir. You are the inheritor of the entire family's riches. You get it all. You get the, the seat closest to the father. You're not just brought in at the low place. You're brought in at the highest possible place. You're adopted to sonship. You might say, how could that be? I'm just content to sit at the table or be on the outskirts. But the reality is, remember, you are in Christ. This is his rightful seat at the table, and he makes it yours. You're adopted to become an heir. Now, often when I'm getting ready to, to preach a text, I, I'll ask, what, what burdens does this passage lift? Because, you know, we, we all come in here with, with all sorts of burdens. Whether you've been walking with Christ for 40 years, you're a new believer, you, you don't know if you believe in Christ, you came in with certain burdens. And I'm convinced that every passage of Scripture will lift our burdens in some particular way. To be in Christ means that the, the sins that you brought in here have been paid for. When you come in and, and sins are on your mind, when you think of maybe you yelled at your kids this morning, maybe you, you cut down a coworker or a friend last week, maybe you viewed pornography in the last week. The sins that you bring in, if you are in Christ, you are free to confess those to God, even though they are sins, they are offensive against a perfect and righteous God. If you are in Christ, you can simply confess and turn from those sins. There's no additional penance. You don't have to say a dozen Hail Marys. You don't have to hang your head down. You don't have to earn your way back to God. You are in Christ and those sins have been paid for. Now, maybe for you, the burden that you're carrying in is, is somebody else's sin against you. You've been hurt. You've been minimized. You've been threatened. You've been mistreated. You've been overlooked. 
And that's a crushing feeling. That's a heavy burden to carry in at no fault of your own. And yet to be in Christ means that God sees you differently than you even see yourself. When he looks at you, he sees Christ. He sees you as perfect, as complete, as radiant in him, spotless and blameless. Though you might not feel like it, that's how God sees you. That's your identity because you are in Christ and he delights in you. Your burden could be any number of things. It could be anxiousness. It could be worry. For me, one of my burdens right now is just fatigue. I don't know if anybody else is feeling like that. It's just, I feel like I just can't get back to like the baseline of like normal living. These burdens that we bring in, Christ longs to carry them for us. The New Testament says, cast your burdens on the Lord for he cares for you. You will carry your burdens. Now, if you don't know if you're in Christ or if you even believe in Christianity, that's where you begin. Your burdens are are heavy because you don't yet have a Lord and Savior to carry them for you. If you're not yet in Christ, you have to carry these burdens alone. And so we, we encourage you, compel you, consider the scriptures, consider Jesus' life and death and resurrection and what it would look like to give your life fully to Christ and let him carry those burdens. So your first, the first thing, your identity, is that you are in Christ. Next is your place. The second thing is your place. Now, it's interesting when, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, right out of the gate, he says, you are in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. Did you catch that? You are in Christ in Ephesus. It's, it's really the same phrase saying that you have an identity which is in Christ and you have a place which is in Ephesus. Now, it's interesting how Paul got to Ephesus in the first place. In Acts 19, you can go and read the story, and I, I encourage that because it's, a, it's an incredible chapter of Scripture. Paul and his friends are, are going around the Mediterranean. They've been persecuted back in Jerusalem, so now they're starting these new churches. They're preaching the gospel. They're leading people to Christ. And, and the work that they do in Ephesus is maybe the most fruitful journey that they have anywhere recorded in the New Testament. It's the place where, where it says that handkerchiefs were brought to Paul, and if he touched them, they could go and it would make somebody well. Their ministry was incredibly fruitful in Ephesus. But Ephesus was a, was a dark and a complicated place. You know, in, in the first century, Rome was like the city of power. Athens was the city of education and intellect. Ephesus was the city of worship. It was, it was the place of pagan spirituality. They had more temples than anyone. They had more religions, more spiritualities than anyone. It was a big part of their economy. And it's like the only thing you couldn't believe in Ephesus was that your belief was the one true way. And so when Paul came in preaching one Savior, Jesus Christ, it upset the people. They threatened him. They, they, they persecuted the church, and yet some believed. And from there, the gospel just multiplied like crazy. But it's into this context that, that Paul is saying, you, you are dual citizens. You are in Christ, and you're in Ephesus. Both things are, are true of you. One's your identity that's in Christ, but one is your place. You have been emplaced here in Ephesus. 
And in Acts 17, Paul himself says, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, if Paul was writing to us today, he would say, you are in Christ Jesus. You're holy and blameless. You're in Christ in Columbia. Now, you might not feel a great sense of of connection to the city. Maybe you feel like you're just passing through. You're waiting to get a a, a promotion or to graduate and, and move on to something bigger and better. And yet, you are here. This is your place. This is your calling for this season, however long it is. You are in Christ, but you are in Christ in Columbia. And just as the Father sent the Son to to bring healing, to speak truth, to, to love and comfort and encourage, the Scriptures say that the Son, through the Spirit, sends us to do the exact same things in the world, to carry out His kingdom, to continue the ministry of Jesus in all the places where He's put us. And so in other words, it is no accident that you are in the very house or apartment where you live. It is no accident where you found this job, even if it seemed strange the way you found your way into it. It's not even an accident. The the spot that you sit relative to your coworkers, the scriptures say that's all been planned and foreordained by God because you are a dual citizen. You're in Christ and in Columbia. God hasn't planned your adoption, sent Jesus to die, united you to Christ just so that you might get by, but that you might be his ambassadors. A a one who is forgiven so that you might be forgiving, loved so that you might be loving, saved so that you might be, be sent. Changed people change people. We are saved and we are sent. And if we remember who we are, that we are in Christ, we remember that we have the very power of Jesus in the places where he's called us. So if it's terrifying to you to be an ambassador for Christ in the place where you work or live or, or, or play your hobbies and the things you like to do, remember that you are joined to the one true power in all the cosmos, the power of Jesus. And so you have your identity, you're in Christ, you have your place, you're in Columbia. And the third and final thing is your purpose. This is where your identity and your place come together. I'll start again in verse 5. It says, In love God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And here's the key verse. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, in the one he loves. This is your purpose, according to the scriptures, to live to the praise of the glorious grace of God. You have a a clear and a compelling purpose to live for God's praise and glory at every moment in your life. And what what Paul is saying is that God is is bringing all things together in heaven and on earth underneath the lordship of Christ, and you are being sent out into the world to extend that kingly reign in Columbia or wherever you find yourself. You have a clear and distinct and incredible purpose, the praise of his glory. 
You don't have a dolphin, you have a porpoise. It's not in my notes. Thank you. One of the great theology books of our time, I'm convinced, it's the Jesus Storybook Bible. I mention it pretty often by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And she has this phrase, every story whispers his name. And she's talking about the Old Testament, that every story, every narrative in the Old Testament, it points us to Jesus in some profound way. Yes and amen. I want to suggest that it's even bigger than that, that every story in every culture that's ever been told also whispers Jesus' name. Think about it. Every, every, every culture in human history has had its own origin story, had, has its own hero story. If you, if you go back to old, you know, mythology classes or books that you might remember, every culture has its hero story. A people that were oppressed, that were in trouble, that had no way of helping themselves. From, from their midst, one rises up to fight for them. One who might be even a little bit divine or sent from the gods, he rises up to fight for the people, to conquer, to push back evil, to save the world. We see this story in every single culture. We see it in ours. It's more in the form of Batman and and Iron Man and Wonder Woman and, and this Tenet movie that we just watched and didn't understand at all. Every one of us has a longing for this hero narrative. And it's Ephesians, it's the scriptures that make sense of it all. That we long to inhabit a bigger story. We long for some some great and overarching story to, to make sense of all of our little stories. What every one of us is looking for deep in our human hearts, it's significance with transcendence. Significance with transcendence. Significance meaning that our lives matter. That why we are here is important. That where we are matters. That you're not just a collection of random molecules and atoms that came together through collisions, but that you have been placed here in love and with a purpose. Our significance is that we are in Christ. But the significance, we long for it to come through transcendence. Now, transcendence is where the divine and the human meet. You know, the the skeptic will say that there is no transcendence, that this is all there is. It's, It's all just matter and none of it really will last beyond what we can see. Therefore, just do whatever you want. Do what pleases you. And I understand the appeal of that, but it cannot make sense of all of our stories. It can't make sense of our our love for stories. It can't make sense for the fact that our hearts are so drawn to transcendence. That that feeling that you get when you stand on top of a a 14,000-foot mountain in Colorado and the, the clouds are moving beneath your feet. The feeling that you get when you wade out into the Pacific Ocean and you realize just how much bigger it is than you. You know, we used to be able to to cultivate this feeling in our churches by these gorgeous cathedrals with high ceilings and stained glass windows to remind you that you are part of something bigger. We even feel the absence of transcendence. We feel homesick when we go weeks or months or years without a feeling of transcendence. 
We long for significance through transcendence. Every story whispers his name. You were created, you were called, you were adopted to sonship, you were sent, all for this purpose that you might live for the praise of God's glory. Not just to get by, not just to exist, but to join the king in his work of the renewal of all things on this earth. We have a real place in this kingdom, a real purpose. You are in Christ, that's your identity. You are in Columbia, that's your place. And you exist for the glory of God. That's his purpose, the praise of his name, that's your purpose. Amen? Let's pray.